God is present to help. God is present to help. We need help. We need help. Um, you know, this is true of every person on the planet that we need help. Even the most uh, motivated person, no man is self-made. We hear that term, a self, I'm a self-made man. No human can do life alone, right? Even the most confident, adventurous, uh, self-starter, hardworking, you know, uh, strong personality out there will need help from time to time. And the sooner we realize this, I feel like the healthier we will be as humans. This whole, I can do it my way, my, myself, it's my job, it's my responsibility, that kind of whole mentality, you know, like I got it, is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit of a superhero complex, right? where we can just do it all um, ourselves, but I feel like when we say that, it actually proves how much we actually do need help. To receive help is not a sign of weakness, but rather a sign of strength. And it reveals a confidence in who uh, we are and how healthy we are. Um, I am a fairly independent person, I would say. And I like to be able to do things myself. And back uh, when um, 2020 kind of was first on the scene and we had our outbreak of COVID for the first time, I um, injured myself. I was working out and I don't know what happened, but I landed on my foot uh, like almost upside down, like the top of my foot landed on the floor, which is awkward as I was jumping or something. And... Um, it was, I was in a lot of pain. Well, I ended up having to go to the doctor because it went from kind of bad to really, really bad fairly quickly to the point I couldn't put any pressure on it at all. So I went in and um, end of story of, of the, what happened there is that I had fractured the top of my foot. So I, by the time I got to the doctor, of course, this is the time when no one could go in anywhere with you. So Craig brought me, but he couldn't go in with me, but I couldn't walk. So I had been just like hopping on one foot everywhere. And then he asked for a wheelchair and he brought me in. They brought me in and wheeled me away. And then I go in this cold room and it's kind of a scary time with COVID and everything. And you don't know what's happening. You don't know who's around you, what they have, what's going to, you know, has it been cleaned and and I was kind of wondering about my foot. And then um, the doctor sits down and um, he says, you know, the foot looks bad. We're going to x-ray it. He said, I don't, I don't know really what to say here, but um, what is likely? I'm, I kid you not. He said this to me. He said, I mean, I'm, I'm a little scared, right? It's so much happening, so much unknown, unrest in society at that point. He said, what is likely is going to happen is that you've broken the top of your foot. It's going to get infected. You're going to develop gangrene, and we will have to amputate. I kid you not. That, he was not joking. This wasn't a joke. Like, I mean, it sounds like a joke. It, he was, I'm like, I mean, I mean, obviously I knew that wasn't true. I'm like, this guy's ridiculous. Like, where is he coming up with this stuff? And I, and I wasn't actually worried about, you know, the amputation at that point. But um, this is what he says to me. 
me and my, uh, my independence and my, I can do things myself and that I am going to leave without a foot today because he is going to amputate when I go out and Craig is outside sitting on a bench because he wouldn't let her in. I'm no longer going to have a foot, you know. Um, anyway, obviously that didn't happen and my foot healed and it's fine. But I don't, who says that? Anyway, um, I go home and for a while I'm on crutches, okay. But I'm telling you, so Craig's in the, in the kitchen, he's making dinner. I'm like... No, I can help. I can do it. He's like, go sit down. No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I walk upstairs and downstairs on my, we think we have to do it all, but no person is self-made and God is present to help. No matter how independent we are, we still need help from time to time. Today, we're going to talk about a man named Elijah and Elijah was, he was quite the guy. If you know any of his story at all, we're going to go through his story a little bit. But he kind of had this thing going for him, okay, where he just asked for crazy things and then he believed in crazy things. He asked for a fireball to fall from heaven. He asked for a boy to come back to life. He believed that birds would literally come and visit him and feed him, bring him food. This is the type of man, of prophet that Elijah was. Elijah also had problems. Towards the end of his story, he was depressed. He had a lot of discouragement and self-pity. And today we're going to explore part of his story as we unpack the presence of God, how God is present to help. God is present to help three ways we're going to talk about today. He's present to help when it's desperate when it's needed, and when it's required. 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. Chapter 17, when it's desperate. Chapter 17 of 1 Kings begins with Elijah declaring a time of drought over the land. So he says this because the word of the Lord came to him saying that this was gonna be the case. And then God says, Elijah, I need you to go uh, to a place, to a brook called Cherish. And at this brook, I am going to provide what you need in the season. I'm going to give you water to drink from the brook. And also, I'm going to arrange meals via ravens. So he's like, okay. So he goes and he's just chilling by this brook and he's laying there and then the birds show up and they brought bread. And so he eats the bread and, and ev evidently they also bought, brought flesh, which the Bible says, which seems untrusted that birds would bring flesh that you have to eat. But if God's gonna provide a miracle where birds bring you food, I feel like it's okay. So I would have ate it as well. So he, he's there and he's eating the flesh and he's eating the bread. And then in verse seven, it says, after a while, the brook dried up. I mean, it kind of makes sense. They are in a time of drought. So the brook would dry up. There was no rain. But what now? It, it, the place that Elijah was sent to by God, the place of provision for this season, that place of help during a difficult time, no longer provided. See, the provision that God has given us in a season isn't meant to last a lifetime. 
When one season of provision ends, it's an invitation from the Lord to follow him into another. Okay? So, and you'll know when it's time because it, it goes on to say the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So when it's time to move into that, that, that next thing, the word of the Lord will come to you to give you instruction to move on because it always happens, follow the end of one thing in order to bring you into the next thing. And verse nine, it says, arise and go to Zerpath, which belongs to Sidon and stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he leaves the brook and he's moving on to the widow. So he shows up, he packs up his things and he gets to the gate of the city. And as he looks in, he sees a widow. He's like, hmm, I wonder if that's my widow, right? And she's over here and she's just like, picking up sticks. She's just picking up sticks. And he's like, hey, stick person, are you going to help me? And she's, she's over here and she's just picking up her sticks. And he's like, while you're over there doing that, could you bring me a drink? Okay, so I don't know what she was thinking. It's impossible for me to know this. But I'm wondering if she's like, is this guy for real? Like, first off, of course you're thirsty and you want to drink. We are in the drought. Like, I get that. But I'm a widow. Shouldn't you be helping me? Also, this is a really bad day for me. Because I have no food and no water. I'm a failure as a mom. I have my son at home who literally is just waiting for me there while I pick up the six to go home to make our last meal so we could eat it and then that's it. Last meal on earth. And he's seriously asking me to bring him a drink. See, as it first appears, we can look at this and be like, wow, Elijah, like he's so insensitive. You know, he's taking advantage of this, of this lady who literally has nothing, you know? But in actuality, Elijah was walking in obedience to the words of the Lord. So it's interesting. I can't imagine it was very comfortable for Elijah to ask this widow for help. I can't, as he's walking up and he enters the gate and he sees the widow and he sees picking up sticks, I can't imagine he's like, this is a great opportunity to ask this, you know, lady, this single lady, would she bring me a drink? I feel like he's like, this is going to be awkward. But God said, so he did it. And he asked for something so scarce and so valuable. The widow starts on her way to get the water. She's like, okay, I'll get the water. So I don't know, she maybe she laid down her sticks. Maybe she now was carrying them and she's kind of like, well, you could at least help me carry the sticks, you know? And she's going to get the water. And then as she's walking away, he's like, oh, oh, could you also bring me some bread? feeling a little hungry. And I feel like at this point, she's like, are you for real? Like, seriously, like I have an armful of sticks. I'm going to get you water, which there isn't much of. And now you want me to bring you food? Wow. So she speaks up. She says in verse 12, I swear, <laughs> as surely as your God lives, I don't have so much as a biscuit. 
I have a handful of flour in a jar. I have a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make the last meal for my son and me. And after we eat it, we will die. Whoa. This is like, I mean, awkward upon awkward moment. Elijah looks to her. Hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about a thing. Just go ahead. Just don't worry about it. Have you ever shared something so serious with someone, so sensitive, you're going through something, and they're like, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Oh, it'll all work out. Oh, it, you know, these things happen. It doesn't seem to be helpful at the time. <sighs> okay. And then he says, go ahead and do what you said. Wait. Go ahead and make the last meal for my son and I, and then that's it. Like, th that's really what you want me to do? Like, it, it's like the more he talks, the worse it gets. It's just like, shh. And then he's like, but first, like, before you do that, could you just make the biscuit for me and bring it back here? I mean, this guy, <laughs> like, he's like, before you have your last meal and die, just make me a little song song. If there's any anger issues in the room or back then when they were hearing the story, I feel like we just need to take a moment right now and just like, <laughs> because our natural instinct would be, we just want to choke Elijah out right now. Like what on earth is he thinking? He's not thinking. But we need to pause and take a moment because this is where things begin to turn around. He said, then go ahead and make the meal from what's left for you and your son because this is the word of the God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. See, in this widow's moment of desperation, God was present to sustain her until the season of drought passed. See, Elijah wasn't just handing out pat answers. It seemed like it on the surface. It looked like it. You're going to be fine. It'll all work out. It's all good. He wasn't being selfish. Just bring me a little something. You know, he was walking in obedience to what the Lord was saying, no matter how awkward it was at the time. See, sometimes we interpret people's answers or the, or the way things is a certain way, and it's not actually what's happening. It's not an insensitive response to, to my problem. It's not a pat answer, but actually it's a supernatural word of wisdom in a moment of time that I need. It might sound the same, but it's not the same. We need to trust the people that God has put in our lives during our tough times. Enough to give them the benefit of the doubt that even we don't like the simplicity of what they're saying, it could be the word of wisdom that we need to birth life into our situation and to sustain us. See, God is present to help when it's desperate. There was no hope here. It was the end, but God knew and he saw the widow and he saw her son. So she did as Elijah said, and the flower didn't run out and the oil was always there. Day after day after day, things were going well. They were good. Things were good until they weren't. Suddenly, things changed. 
her boy got sick. And then he dies. This mama is now like, I don't know. I mean, we were, it was bad and, and it got better. And now this, what was the point of the miracle? If, if it was just gonna end this way anyway, wouldn't it have been better? Like we got all this hope, our hopes were so high and now this. And, and, and then she starts blaming Elijah. She's like, this is your fault. You brought this on my home. Here, I gave you a place in my loft and you've been sleeping here and I've been making you biscuits every morning and bringing you water. And now my son, I've lost my son. And Elijah's like, just give them to me, just give them to me. So he takes him and he takes him up to the loft and he just like puts him on his bed. Up to this point, there's no record of a person coming back to life in the Bible. So Elijah doesn't have a testimony to glean from in this moment. So I don't know what he was thinking or what he was gonna do, but I know he just threw him on the bed and he was in a moment of desperation. And I know he was in a moment of desperation because the Bible says that he then like laid himself over the boy and began to pray. And that is not a normal response. So he laid himself on the boy and the mama, she's down in the regular house and she's probably just pacing the floor like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move on from here. I don't know what's gonna happen here. I don't even know what he's doing with my boy up in the loft. Like what is happening? And he lays on him, not once, not twice, but three times. And he calls out to the God of heaven for life to be restored. And then the boy gets up. <laughs> well, I don't know what Elijah's thinking in this moment, but he grabs him and he picks him up and he like runs back down and he like throws him and he's like, here he is, he's back. And she's like, oh my gosh, like what has happened here? Like what? Back to life. See, God is present to help when it's desperate, when it's desperate, when all hope is lost, God is present to help. God is also present to help when it's needed, just when we just need him to help. Moving along in Elijah's journey, a few days, weeks pass, and God says, hey, you need to go to Ahab. Ahab was kind of like in charge of the nation at that point, and he said, and also, in other news, I'm gonna send rain on the earth, just so you know, it's coming. So Elijah starts on his journey and as he runs, uh, he goes on his journey, he runs into Obadiah, the governor. Obadiah was a man who truly feared the Lord. It wasn't that long ago that he actually hid 400 prophets of God in a cave and fed them because Jezebel, a very, very evil, wicked lady, had been killing all the prophets of God. Before Elijah gets to Ahab, Ahab had reached out to Obadiah, the governor, and he had talked and he said, listen, um, governor, we have a problem. We don't have any rain on the earth. We have no water. And I'm worried about our livestock and our animals. So we actually need to go find some fountains and some brooks. So let's kind of split up. You go one way, I'll go the other. And let's see if we can kind of keep these animals alive a little longer. So Obadiah is going one way and Ahab's going the other. And as we said, Elijah runs into Obadiah. And, 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 and as Obadiah sees him, he like falls on the ground. He's like... <gasps> Elijah, is that you, the prophet? And Elijah says, yeah, 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 it's me. He's like, get up, it's fine, it's me. Um, he's like, wait, 
like, I can't believe I'm seeing you. Like, I haven't seen, no one's seen you in a while. And he's like, yeah, no, it's me, it's me, it's me. Uh, I need um, a favor. Could you go and tell Ahab I'm here, that I'm back? And Obadiah's like, heck no, I'm not doing that. He's like, I'm not doing that. Do you, where have you been, man? Like everyone's been looking for you. Like where have you been all this time? And no, 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 no. I'm not gonna go tell Ahab that you're back because I know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna go tell Ahab you're back. And then Ahab and I are gonna come and we're gonna look for you and the spirit of the Lord while we're gone is gonna like miraculously, supernaturally take you away somewhere else. And we're gonna get back. You're not gonna be here. And then Ahab's gonna be so mad. He's gonna kill me because he's gonna think I lied to him. Nope, I'm not doing it. That's a death wish. Elijah's like, listen, I'm not going to do that. Like, trust me, I'm here. I'm going to be here. Just, just go do it. Just, just listen to me. So Obadiah's like, okay, fine, whatever. I'll trust you. So he leaves and he goes and he brings back Ahab. He says, I'm Elijah's here. Ahab's like, what? So he comes back and he's like, well, 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 look what the cat dragged in. Troublemaker of Israel back again. Huh. And Elijah's like, seriously? You're the one causing all the problems. Like, I'm the troublemaker. You literally denied the Lord. You started worshiping Baal idols. You enabled Jezebel to kill the Lord's people. You're basically a whipped little puppy in her hands. I'm the troublemaker. I don't think so. Pretty sure it's you causing all the issues in Israel these days. But you know what? It's time to settle this once and for all. He's like, I have an idea. We're gonna do a little friendly competition. And I'm going to prove the one true God. And we're going to put an end to this. Let's get all of Israel, the whole nation together. This is a bold move. This is a bold move. So let's get the 450 prophets of Baal and then the 400 prophets of the goddess Asherah, who, you know, the one who sits at Jezebel's table, like those. Let's get them, you know. And then it will be me, just me, you know, prophet of God. And we'll settle it. This is a big deal. This is a big gathering, the whole nation. Elijah's just by himself, you know? I, I, this has got to be terrifying, kind of like, if this doesn't work out, I'm not sure what's going to happen to him, all right? But God is present to help when it's needed, all right? Everyone shows up. I mean, word travels fast. This is going to be legendary, okay? So this prophet guy making his first appearance in a long time since, you know, the drought and everything went down like that, and, and he's now back. And in the meantime, they'd all submitted themselves to idol worship. So there's like a bad feel overall in the land. Okay, Elijah stands before the assembly of the nation. And he's like, attention all, young and old. Thank you for coming. How long will you choose and waver between two opinions? One minute you follow God, the next it's Baal. It is enough. Today we settle this mess. I'm here, the only prophet of the Lord. And then there's the 450 others of Baal over here. I can see how it's not looking good for me. I wonder at this point in his announcement, was he like, what am I doing? <laughs> like this, this is not better than chilling by the brook and 
you know, the bird food. This is definitely not better than sleeping in the loft and the daily biscuits. Like, what am I doing here? And then we come to 1 Kings 18, verse 23. He said, let the Baal prophets bring two oxen. Let them pick one, butcher it, lay it on the altar on the fire, but don't light it. I'll take the other one, I'll cut it up, I'll lay it on the wood, but I won't light it either. Then you pray to your gods and I'll pray to my God and the God that answers by fire will be the true God. All the people agree, this is a good plan, do it. All right, so the Baal people went first and it's from morning till noon, they did this. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Bring the fire, Baal. Baal, are you there, Baal? And it went on and on and on, nothing. So after a bit, they thought, well, maybe we should jump on the ox. That'll work. So they jump up on the ox and they're like, oh, Baal, come. Oh, Baal, do you hear us? Nothing. We're like, okay, we'll get off the ox. So maybe if we just like go around it, like in a limping sort of dance. That, so they're like, oh, Baal, do you hear us? Oh, Baal, come answer us. Nothing. Right around lunchtime, Elijah's like, this is getting funny. You know, he's like, maybe I should say something. Like, I'm going to just like chime in a little bit. So he's like, hey, guys, maybe yell a little louder. Maybe, uh, maybe she can't hear you. Maybe he's gone on vacation. Maybe that's what, it, or he's sleeping. You just need to wake him up. You just need to yell louder. So they're like, he's right. Bail, bail. I mean, they just louder and louder. And then, then, I mean, nothing's happening, but then, then they begin to cut themselves. I mean, it's just getting gross now. And it's that the blood is just going everywhere. They're like, bail, bail. Nothing, nothing, no voice, no answer, no God is paying attention. Elijah stands up in front of the crowd. I mean, this is chaotic. And he's like, hey, everyone, come here, come a little closer. So they all come a little closer. And then he stops for a minute and he repairs an altar that Jezebel had torn down a little while ago, an altar of the Lord. He just repairs it. No one says anything. He just does that. And then he says, okay, it's my turn. So he just began by restoring what never should have been destroyed before he moved on. Then he's like, okay, let's do this. I'm sure he was trembling. This was a powerful moment in his anointing and his call. See, how many know that just because God calls you to do something, it doesn't make it easy or comfortable. In fact, mostly it's not easy or comfortable. Elijah, he'd never done this before. He didn't know the outcome. But he did know that the God who was present to help when it was desperate would be the God present to help when it was needed. He picks up 12 stones, it just represents all the 12 tribes of Israel, and he begins to build an altar. After the altar is built, he just digs a trench all the way around it. It reminds me of when you build a little um, trench around your sandcastle at the beach, and you want to fill it with water. That's what I picture. He just builds a trench around it. Everyone's watching. I'm sure they were tired. They'd literally been there all day and it was exhausting watching these 450 prophets of Baal do ridiculous things. But then I wonder if this felt a little different. 
It's a little more peaceful, a little more like, huh, I wonder what's going to happen here. It's not crazy or chaotic anymore. It was just like one step in front of the other. Then he puts the wood on the altar and he puts the ox on top of the wood, which is probably a little bit heavy. I'm thinking he was just one guy. Then he says, fill four jars of water and put it on the burnt offering on the wood. Do it again and one more time. So they're just filling their jars and they're just like throwing it on, throwing it on, throwing it on, soaking wet. It says there was so much water that it ran all the way down the sacrifice and then all it filled the trench. This was gonna be a moment to remember. Whichever way it ended, it would be unforgettable. God's presence was needed more than ever in this moment. He had to come through. This moment would change Israel. God is present to help see when it's needed. Sometimes we're in situations that, that are just, it's, it's not necessarily desperate, but we just need God right now. Like it, it, it's just needed. It's, it's like that right answer to the question someone has of you, but you don't know what to say and boom, you have it. It's that decision at work where you need to make it and it's kind of important and, and you don't know what to do and then boom, you have it. It's, it's, it's a quick response in traffic that avoids a collision. It's more than a want. It's, it's like a needed intervention for protection, for provision, for help. It's, it's decisions that need to be made when you don't know what to do and God is present to help you. What do you need? What do we need from the Lord today? Because here's Elijah and, and he's in this moment and God is needed to come through for the sake of him and for the sake of the nation. So he prays to God after he built his altar. He's a God, God of heaven. And he prays down that he would answer by fire to prove himself to this nation who has literally just gone the wrong way. And then whew, the fireball falls. It falls, it says it eats up the ox, the wood instantly just turns to ash and, and the stones to dust and then they disappear. And just when they thought it was all over and the crowd was, oh, ah, you know, gasping and all the, all the sounds, it literally like slurps up all the water in the trench and evaporates. Wow. I mean, the 450 Baal prophets tried for like eight hours. They yelled, they danced, they bled all over the place. The one prophet of the Lord prays once, done. The crowd goes bananas. <laughs> wow. They cry out, God, you are the living God. You, the Lord, are God. Elijah is like, oh, okay, this couldn't have went better, you know. So he stands up and he's in, you know, authoritative. He has the authority of the Lord and he's, he's feeling the moment. And he says, quick, seize the Baal prophets, grab them and kill them, which I know sounds a little extreme, but guys, it like, this was long overdue. They had enabled the enemy for way too long and it needed an extreme action in this moment. See, we cannot enable the enemy to continue to advance his territory because we're afraid to deal with it. We must take a stand for holiness and protect what God has entrusted to us or we are at risk to lose it. 
So then Elijah says, all right, this is great. So they do that and they just, they slay all the, these prophets. And Elijah says to Ahab, hey, go get some food and get a drink because I hear the sound of change. Come on. He's like, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. He remembers what God said. Go do this. Talk to Ahab. Meet up with him. Do all these things and then I'm going to send rain. So he's like, hey, it's not going to be a little bit of rain, but it's an abundance of rain. Rain to fill the land. And Wow, could this be after all this time? Could this be? You know, I wonder what moved the hand of God during this time to lift the drought. I wonder, was it the hearts of the people that turned back to him? Was it Elijah's obedience? It's hard to know exactly if it was just a combination of everything, but there's one point I want to catch before we move on. Back a few moments ago, if you remember, when Elijah built the altar and the sacrifice, it says he poured so much water on it that it filled the trenches. We look at this and we think, wow, it makes it so much bigger of a miracle. The fact that it was wet when the fire came and burned it up. Dry wood, I mean, yeah, but wet wood, it's kind of funny we think that, right? Literally, fire fell from the sky. Fire fell from the sky. But it's more of a miracle that it was wet. See, I think that the water had very little to do with the size of the miracle and much more to do with the size of the sacrifice. There was no water in the land. They were in a season of drought. It was the most valuable resource right then. It was the most meaningful. It was so scarce. And he's like, bring the cups, four cups, and do it, and do it again, and do it again, and dump it on this sacrifice to the one true God. He didn't ask for water to make it a bigger deal. He asked for water because of its value. See, the water was the grandest part of the sacrifice, not the biggest wow of the miracle. He was giving the best to the Lord because he was worthy. See, even in the middle of our need, he's worthy of our sacrifice. So now the God who was present to help was about to release water all over the earth again. Come on. So Ahab goes to eat like he was advised, go get some food, and Elijah goes to the mountain. And he places his head in between his knees and he prays to God. He prays to God for the rain. And then he says to his servant person as he's praying, he said, hey, servant person, could you go and look and tell me what you see? So the servant person goes and he's like, I don't see anything. So he's just like, okay, go again. He goes again, he comes back, I don't see anything. He's like, could you go again? He goes, seven times, could you just go? Seven times. (laughs) So he goes, and at the seventh time, he comes back. And he said, hey, I think I see something. I see the cloud, a cloud. It's like the size of a man's hand. The promise was small, 
it was coming. <laughs> Elijah's like, that's enough. I, that's good. That works for me. God is here. He's present to help. And the land is about to get rain. So this is, this is like a good moment. And it would appear in this moment for all of us to celebrate, to sit back in our seats, to take a deep breath and be like, wow, what a great message. That was awesome. Let's get some food, some popcorn. Let's, I don't know. I'm so happy right now. This ended on a good note. But then we read the next Verse, chapter 18, verse 45. It says, things happen fast. The, the sky grew black with wind-driven clouds and then huge cloudbursts of rain with Ahab hightailing it in his chariot, chariot for Jezreel. And God strengthened Elijah mightily, pulling up his robe, Tying it around his waist, Elijah ran in front of Ahab's chariot until they reached Jezreel. Are you picturing this? Okay. So first of all, he pulls up his robe and ties it around his waist. That's a little awkward. I'm not sure. Don't picture that. And then he runs. And he's running 20 miles. This is. I, okay. He wasn't trained. Like he wasn't training for anything. He runs 20 miles. I mean, the, okay, the last aspect of God's presence that we're gonna focus on here is how God is present to help when it's required. Okay, I feel like there was more required help needed, the fact that he could make that run without training than anything else in this moment. I mean, 20 miles without training. There's all this has happened, all the wild stuff that has happened. A prophetic word in a drought, a season of hiding and being fed by birds, a time of living in a granny flat or loft, owned by a widow, miracle food and healing, competition of the gods, and then a crazy rainstorm. And now he's going on this run without any preparation. And he's ahead of the chariot running, holding his dress up. Like here we are. And I mean, he's super fast. Like this is absolutely crazy. And then you have Ahab, this weak little man, this weak little man who's hightailing it straight to Jezreel, where Jezebel is, which is very weird. Anyway, and then she's like the wicked witch of the West, you know? And he's, he's, he's telling her all what happened. Hey, you wouldn't believe what happened. You wouldn't believe Elijah's back. And then he did this and he did that and he killed all the Baal prophets and then he, he did the fireball thing and then he like, you know, there's a windstorm and a rainstorm and all of these things. And she is mad. She is mad. Jezebel was all about control and manipulation. And now someone has taken the upper hand and this has set her up. And she sends word to Elijah. You send, she sends her servants to tell him, you're a dead man. I don't know at this point if it was the pressure of the mountaintop experience for Elijah that made him crash and burn. Or if it was a 20-mile run, to be honest. But he got scared. Jezebel was no small force. She was demonically driven. And he knew what she was capable of. It was like, it was like the mafia had a hit out on him. He took off. He's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm so done. It's too much. God, I know you've been there, but honestly, when will it end? 
when will it be over? I'm like literally stuck in these endless cycles of bad. Elijah pulls the whole disappearing act again and he travels across Israel more than 80 miles. This guy. He leaves his servants there and then he goes another day's journey into the wilderness. We find him eventually completely exhausted, clearly, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And he's, He's so bad, he's so far gone, he begins to ask the Lord to end his life. However, how the Lord reacts to Elijah being burnt out is something pretty incredible. Instead of being annoyed, well, you ran away, you're not trusting me. Instead of being annoyed, well, you're taking a break. He gives the prophet exactly what he needs, food and rest. In Priscilla's study on the life of Elijah, she makes this comment. She says this, God is not mad at you because your body is tired or your mind is frayed or your soul is unusually heavy. Not after the kind of project you just finished or the difficulties you've just endured or the emotional marathon you've just run. He isn't agitated by the limitations of your flesh. Instead, he stands patiently ready to minister to you to work through those deficiencies and to nourish you as you recover from them. How many have been there? You know, the season of hardship is so long. It's past season. It now feels like more of this is the way of, of, of my life. It's my new normal and I can't even imagine, I can't even remember what it's like to not be there anymore. I, I, this is Elijah. He's like ready to just call it quits at life. And he falls asleep. And then an angel shows up. Shh, I don't know. Get up and eat. He opens his eyes and he sees a freshly baked cake and a bottle of water. It looks pretty good. So he's like, okay, I'll eat that. So he eats it, he drinks it, and then he lays back down again. Then the angel comes back, pokes him. Get up and eat. You need it. You have a big task ahead. Your time is not over yet. He gets up, he eats, drinks. He's feeling strengthened in the Lord and he starts on his journey. See, God is present to help when it's required of you. See, God has a required call on Elijah's life and he, he was not able to do it on his own. He was tired, he was scared. He was disappointed with the way things had turned out. It was too much and he was so tired of the fighting, of the grind. Help was required for this required call. See, when God has called you and me to do his work, he will be present to help. He will not require you to move on his behalf without his presence providing what you need. For 40 days, those little cakes and two bottles of water sustained him. Then he found a cave. <laughs> it was on the mountain of Horab, which means mountain of God. And he went in the cave, which is interesting. See, he may have been doing the wrong thing, hiding in a cave at this point, but at least he knew where to go, the mountain of God. So the Lord appears to him while he's in this cave and he says, what are you doing here? <laughs> Elijah's like, listen, God, I'm upset. Thank you for the cakes, but um, I'm still disappointed. 
I've had 40 days now to think about this and I still feel bad about the fact that I've worked so hard for you and I can't believe Israel still isn't choosing me. They still have Jezebel calling the shots and she's really has them fooled. I can see through it, but I feel like I'm the only one. It's like they're blind. I'm the only one that sees it and I'm just sad. The Lord says, Elijah, go stand outside on top of the mountain. I don't think he moved. The Lord passed by. There was a wild wind, the Bible says, that destroyed the mountain and literally broke the rocks in pieces. It says the Lord wasn't in it. Then there was a crazy earthquake. It says, but the Lord wasn't in it. Then there was fire. Gosh, he had to be in the fire, right? Because he was the fire, you know, the fireball. That's like a thing. But nope, he wasn't in it. And after the fire, there was a sound, a gentle stillness and a still small voice. That was it. Elijah felt it, he heard it. He wrapped his face in his mantle and then he went out to the entrance of the cave. He hears the voice of God. What are you doing here? One more time, Elijah shares of his disappointments. I can't believe it. Israel hasn't turned to you. I'm so disappointed. It didn't work out. I've worked so hard for you. Here in the presence of God, standing on the mountain of the Lord, disappointed and unsure. Here, in the moment, things are about to change. Here, this was the time he'd been waiting for. Here, this was the time he'd been praying for. Here, he'd been contending for, hoping for, wishing for, not knowing if it was going to happen. But that this was it. See, you never know when it's going to show up until it's here. The still small voice speaks the words of life required for the task at hand, required to get him to move out. And it says in verse 15 of chapter 19, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king. And then you will anoint Jehu as king over Israel. And then anoint Elisha as the prophet in your place. And it shall come to pass that Jehu will put to death whoever escapes from the sword of Hazel. And Elisha shall put to death whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu. Yet I will leave seven thousand survivors in Israel, all the knees that have not yet bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Praise God for a remnant. There's always a remnant. There's always a remnant. There's always a remnant of people who stay true to the Lord and will carry on the promises of God. See, God is present to help when it's required. Some Sometimes things just need to happen. So what is required of you? What is required of me? What has God called us to do? God is present to help when it's required. We need to listen to his voice. We need to pick up the mantle. The mantle represents the call and the anointing on your life. We need to put it in our face so it's all we see. We need to wrap it around us. 
Our face represents the, the, the humanity that we have, all our doubts, all our fears, all our concerns, our unknowns. But when we wrap the anointing and the call of God in front of our face, that's all we see. See, there's no need to fix our eyes on anything else. God is present to help when it's required. We don't always understand. We aren't always ready. We don't know what to do, but we trust a God that knows. Let's stand as I end. We trust a God who has a plan and we trust a God who's present to help. This is what positions us to live well and serve faithfully. See, God is present to help. I know this has been a long one. I said to Craig before I got up today, I said, I just feel like my message today is just, it's like this huge mountain that I have to climb just to get it out because it's just the word of the Lord, I believe, to someone today that God is present to help you when it's desperate, like the widow when it's needed like the fire and when it's required like your call. When you've exhausted your efforts and you can't do it anymore, God is present to help. Let me pray. If you need the help of the Lord today, I just encourage you to reach out your hands as I pray over you. Father, I thank you for your word of truth that brings life. I thank you that you said that you will not send the words out without accomplishing what it is set to do. I thank you that it is alive. I thank you that it cuts the heart and draws us into encounter with you. I pray today for each one of us that are, we are just, we just need your help more than ever. If there was ever a day we need your help, it's today. For the miracles we've been waiting on, for the promises we've been counting on for the call, for the task at hand that you have led us to do, but we're just unsure of, of, of how to get there. You are present to help. I pray right now for divine downloads of heaven. I pray right now for the in our minds that we would begin to hear your voice to say, this is how to do it. This is the next step. This is the word of the Lord for you right now in this season, in this time. And I pray just for a prophetic unction and edge in each of our lives that would open doors and shut doors according to your will. I thank you that you are here. And I thank you that this is the day for many of us that we've been waiting for. So in this moment, would you speak your still, small voice that's required for the help we need for the task at hand? In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.